Good morning. I think it's been like three years since I stood up here and gave a sermon, so here you go. Do you smell that or the high price of authentic worship? Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your good gift to us, for receiving our sacrifices and giving the ultimate sacrifice in your body. May you fill my mouth with your words, and may you soften our hearts to your message. And we pray. Amen. Let's read this passage from the book of Mark. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I will tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The word of the Lord. I've always loved this story. I would like to think that I would have been bold enough to walk into that meal and anoint Jesus with fragrant oil or perfume. But the truth is, I probably would have been one of the disciples grumbling about the whole situation. May God ever change my heart. When I was in university, one of my music professors would often start rehearsals with a quick meditation on this story, and it changed my life. Today, I'm going to share with you some of what God has revealed to me over the years. And you're probably also wondering about the title of this message. It'll make more sense soon. Many lessons can be gleaned from this passage, and today I want to focus on what this has to teach us about worship, and more specifically, what authentic worship is and how it affects us. There are three big ideas I want to share with you. One, that God is, that worship is a beautiful thing done to Jesus. Two, worship has a high price. And three, worship reveals our unhealthy relationships. To remind you, worship is exalting and declaring our allegiance to the Lord who is above all gods. Worship is participating in a reality that is beyond our immediate senses. Let's begin by asking why we should care about what worship looks like. And it's because worship is a thing done to Jesus, and it is beautiful. Mark does not explain any of the woman's motivations, nor does Matthew or John. In all three of those Gospels, the story takes place just days before his execution. And all that we know is that her act becomes an anointing for Jesus' imminent death. Luke is the only one to provide a motivation for the woman, and in his gospel, her actions were all about repentance. In all the gospel accounts, what the woman did was an act of worship. It was an act of recognizing the lordship of Christ. And Jesus honors the woman and commends her actions and attitude. And what does he say about it? He tells his disciples, she has done what she could. She brought the best that was available to her, According to the NIV, we are told that what she poured out was worth more than a year's wages. Traditional biblical scholarship understands that this woman was most likely a prostitute. The Apostle John says it was Mary, the sister of Martha, but I'm not interested in splitting hairs on who this woman was exactly. What I'm interested in exploring 
is how the woman, prostitute or not, could have had something so valuable in her possession. Perhaps it was a gift. It's entirely possible. It's also possible that she acquired it the same way we acquire things of value, by using discipline and sacrifice to save. And who knows how long it took her to save the money to purchase the perfume. Most likely, it took many, many years. This means the gift she poured out over Jesus' feet represents a significant portion of her life. And whatever delayed gratification or sacrifice she endured so she could purchase the perfume. Are we even as fiscally responsible as this woman? What do we value that we would put this much effort into a thing or cause? Yet authentic worship does require us to sacrifice that which is valuable. When we pour out our perfume, we are demonstrating to the God of the universe that he is more important to us, than our, more important than our possessions, our bank accounts, our jobs, or even our relationships here on earth. When Jesus celebrated the woman for having done what she could, he also invited us to bring what we can to his feet as well. You don't have to be a musician or a preacher. What is valuable to you may be a skill set that you've honed over years or decades. Or it could be a thing that took years to purchase. And because this woman brought that which was a sacrifice for her and anointed Jesus with it, it becomes beautiful. Both Matthew and Mark record Jesus as saying, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Authentic worship is beautiful. If you go to the thesaurus, you'll find a list of words with similar meanings that include dazzling, fascinating, exquisite, magnificent, and wonderful. You will also find words such as alluring, appealing, delightful, and lovely. Beauty matters to God. From the creation of the universe to the instructions for the tabernacle, from the description of how a man is to see his wife in Song of Songs, through to the description of the New Jerusalem with its precious metals and jewels, beauty matters to God. And if we notice the word to at the end of that sentence, we recognize the worship is not done for Jesus, it's done to Jesus. The act of worship is both glorious and attractive. It exalts our de and declares our allegiance to the Lord who is above all gods and draws others in to do the same. Often, we interchange the words two and four when we talk about what we do in worship. I know I'm guilty of this. We might say, let us sing to the Lord or let us sing for the Lord. But there is a difference. Grammatically, both of those words are prepositions. The difference is that two is a preposition of direction, meaning it expresses movement. The word four is not. Not only does the word two express movement, for example, we're going to church today, it also demonstrates or expresses receiving, that is, demonstrating who or what receives an action or item, such as, Evan gave the Bible to Levi. It also shows an abstract link or connection between two people, such as, I am married to my best friend. The word for does none of these things. For is used to show support, represent someone else, demonstrate exchange, give a measurement of time or distance, and provide a reason. In a worship context, for is probably best for showing gratitude, such as, I am grateful for the Lord rescuing me. The Greek word used in this sentence is primarily used to denote a position and a direction, so the word to is the better choice. The point here is that worship is active. 
The acts of worship, singing, praising, listening, devoting, are all pointed to, that is, in the direction of Jesus and demonstrate us giving him those actions. He is receiving it. It also strengthens our connection to him. For as we sing to Jesus, lift our praise to Jesus, listen to the words of Jesus, and devote ourselves to Jesus, we draw closer to him. My first point is worship is beautiful and done to Jesus. I'll go even further and say it's beautiful because it's done to Jesus. I also think it's beautiful and a tremendous grace that Jesus also chooses to receive it. My second point, worship comes with a high price. The text says that the woman broke the container. This likely means that she broke the seal of the container. It's reasonable to assume that this jar of very expensive perfume was intended to be used only once. Once the jar was opened, the fragrance began evaporating into the air and shortly would be gone forever. Fragrance is ephemeral. It's here and then it's gone. One of the world's famous perfumers charges more than $50,000 to create one-of-a-kind custom perfumes. The price is driven by ingredients, time, and the creativity and craftsmanship of the maker. Have any of you ever smelled a fine perfume? It can be absolutely captivating. In 2020, after the government forced the lockdowns on us, my family decided we would each invest in a new hobby. Jordan challenged her mind by doing ever-increasingly difficult puzzles. I chose to learn, learn woodworking and luthery. Thanks, Brian, for all of your assistance. And our daughter, Eliana, chose to learn how to make perfume. And I had no idea at the time how complicated perfume making was. And I also didn't know that it takes time to make perfume. It's not as straightforward as you would think. Most perfumes need age for the scent to blossom, and it requires an extraordinary amount of time, creativity, and craftsmanship to make a perfume. It's no wonder it's expensive. Closer to home, at least for me, is that music, in many ways, is like perfume. It's ephemeral, I mean, it and it requires time. Quite literally, it's a component of music, whereas the visual arts require space, and it can be exceedingly expensive. In the past, the ephemeral nature of music meant that to listen to or participate in music, you had to be present. It only occurred at that time. It was in the air, and then it wasn't. For centuries, music critics have written about exquisite performances that created transformative experiences for those in the audience or the congregation, and how there seems to be a longing in our human nature to experience and participate in music and other creative activities. Then we started to record music. But these recordings of music are but a shadow of what music is like in person. I'm, I'm going to be really bold here, and I'm going to misappropriate the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians and mix metaphors and say that for now we hear with recorded music in a mirror dimly. This also makes me think of those old scratch and sniff ads you find in magazines for selling perfume. They never quite capture what it's like to smell the scent on a woman they're but a shadow. Music like perfume can only be opened once. Music like perfume is ephemeral. It's here and then it's gone forever. Recorded music like resealed perfume is but a shadow. No matter how quickly that alabaster jar could have been resealed, the magic was gone. Once it begins interacting with the air, a chemical reaction begins that slowly degrades the scent. 
Given enough time, you'd have a jar of oil with hints of fragrance. These are some of the reasons why both good music and fine fragrances are expensive. Now, I know many of you are not wine drinkers, but regardless, something similar happens with wine. About 20 years ago, I started making my own wine, and I've experimented with all sorts of varietals, and I've even fermented honey into mead. And for those with the experience of drinking wine, you probably know what happens once you open a bottle. It turns into what? Vinegar. It's a chemical and biological process, and you can't stop it. Only slow it down. Most of the wine drinkers I know will recork their bottle or they'll use special tops that pulls the air out in an effort to get that to stay fresh for just a little bit longer. If you can reopen your bottle of wine after a week and it still tastes okay to you, you've probably never experienced what a truly fine wine has to offer. Believe it or not, a bottle of wine is intended to be opened and consumed immediately. It, like music and perfume, is ephemeral in nature. The ephemeral nature of wine, music, and fragrance drives home my second point, that worship comes with a high price, and there are many kinds of prices that we pay. The first is the price of time. As I read the story, the woman anointing Jesus was in no rush. Unless you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, a bottle of wine with friends should be consumed over the course of an entire meal. And music requires time. Concerts can last for hours, and music used as part of worship can take up the majority of the service. The price of time also includes the time it took to combine and age the perfume, grow and harvest the grapes, ferment the wine, and then age it, and to master the must-have skills necessary to make the music possible. Worship, therefore, should not be rushed. It's not something you check off your to-do list for the week. It's way too important for that. The second price we pay is the price of the choice to worship. Economists call this an opportunity cost. What else could this woman in the story have chosen to do? Maybe prepare a meal and feed her family. Or maybe help someone in need. Or if she was a prostitute or not, go to work to make more money. When you decide to do something, you are saying no to all other choices. And authentic worship requires us to say yes to the source of all things and to reject everything else. Furthermore, it divides the, or demands that we not divide our attention. For the last 20 years of my grandfather's life, he constantly told me of his regret for not choosing to practice music as a child. He saw his friends playing outside, and he chose to stand up from the piano and play with them. And that choice cost him. It was an opportunity cost. And he regretted for the next 70, 80, and even 90 years until he died that he no longer had the skills that he wanted to have. Opportunity cost is closely related, related to the third price we pay, which is the price of sacrifice. Sacrifice has two parts, delaying gratification and denying the self. If the woman had saved to purchase the alabaster jar, she had delayed for years the gratification of being able to use it. She also denied, that is, sacrificed, her ego and any fear of judgment of the others that were present in order to anoint Jesus. Imagine walking into that room filled with men and to be so vulnerable as to bow before Jesus and anoint him with all those eyes on you. The creation of perfume and wine is in itself also an act of delayed gratification. Some perfumes are aged for weeks, but the finest wines are aged for years. Whiskies and other distilled alcohols can be aged for decades. 
What are you sacrificing to be here today? And what gratification are you delaying? What opportunities are you saying no to so that you may gather here and worship as a church? And most importantly, what matters enough to make that sacrifice? Or to flip this on its head, because I know there are a lot of patient delay and gratification savers in the room, what matters enough to spend on the extravagance of expensive perfume? Because let's face it, worship occurs when we bring that which we most highly prize and pour it out before the Lord. And this brings us at last to money. There is a high price to our wallets when it comes to worship. And a funny thing happens once money is brought into the conversation, which leads me to my third point. Worship reveals our unhealthy relationships, especially with money. It shouldn't be surprising that authentic worship reveals the unhealthy relationships in our life. Scripture claims that all will be revealed and nothing will be hidden. And still, when things are shown to us, it can often be a surprise because we are often not aware of the idols that we've put in God's place. Worship reveals those idols and requires us to take it down. Here's how it worked in this story. In verses 4 to 5, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Matthew is less discreet. Rather than saying some of those present, he just throws all the disciples under the bus and blames them for that conversation. In John, he says it was Judas Iscariot who brought up the issue of money. Luke is the most different. In his gospel, the host of the dinner is a Pharisee, and that person brought up the sinful condition of the woman. But this is what's happening. When we worship authentically, the holiness of God cuts us to the quick, and it shows us where we have placed an idol in God's place. That is, it reveals our unhealthy relationships with the things we have chosen to value. And since three of the four Gospels focus on an unhealthy relationship with money, so shall we. This does seem fitting as Jesus did a lot of teaching on the subject. Jesus emphasized our relationship to money so much in his ministry because he knew more than any other thing, money has the power to take God's place in our hearts, and it has the power to master our thinking. Money itself is neutral, and how we use it is up to each individual, yet we find ourselves with money knots because it is such a present part of our lives. Furthermore, many of us let our relationship with money be controlled by a children's Sunday school understanding of money. As Scott Morton, the former VP of Development and Director of Staff Funding for The Navigators, said, what the Bible actually says about money is often obscured by traditions, fads, and formulas whose moorings to the Bible are convoluted or wispy or ignored. Let me tell you what this means. One of the money issues is that the stuff we make up about money isn't really about money. Like a successful executive who can't balance his checkbook or a person who purchases and hoards out of fear. How many of you bought multiple Costco-sized packages of toilet paper during the shutdowns? Or it's like the disciples who use a good thing, that is, giving to the poor, to grumble about the extravagance of this woman's worship. When your mom and dad fought about money, was it really about money? And when the church argues and fights about money, is it really about money? Let's explore this a bit and pull apart some of this money knot. We'll begin by looking at the subtle and not-so-subtle effects of the words we use to talk about money. These are the homonyms that money words generate. And as we go through this list, pay attention to the thoughts and feelings that you experience. 
Go ahead and put up that list, Ron. Save, worth, trust, broke, spend, debt, credit, due, value, earn, bonus, dividend, asset, net, balance, owe, rich, poor. We could go on and on, right? Did any of you experience a tightening in your chest or a sinking stomach feeling when we read through that list? Or for those of you who still have student loans and you know those payments are supposed to kick back in after January, how does that make you feel? All gross inside. This is about connecting those thoughts we have with our Sunday school understanding of money so that it no longer gets in our way and we can put God back in the place that he demands. Christ tells us not to worry, and yet for many of us, the feelings we experience reading through this list point to an unhealthy relationship with money, and it is money that sits on Christ's throne, not Christ himself. Don't forget, worshiping at the feet of Jesus reveals to us the places where we value our relationship with money or anything else more than our relationship with him. I know what some of you are thinking right now. As I said the part about what you're feeling is revealing your unhealthy relationship with money, you started a sentence in your head that said, yeah, but, and you have your reasons. The thing is, is that when it comes to worshiping Jesus, there are no yeah, buts. There is only Jesus. Jesus wants to complete our complete and undivided attention. The only relationship that matters is the one we have with him. I want to go a step further into this money knot and how we have an unhealthy relationship with money. Let's look at how some words can have similar meanings, but based on their context, can have completely different implications. They're similar, yet different. What do you see between the difference of frugal and cheap? Or greedy and ambitious? Or wasteful and generous? To drive this home, let's focus on the last pair of words. In both Matthew and Mark, the disciples are quoted as saying the woman's actions with the perfume were what? Wasteful. Yet Jesus receives it as an act of generosity. And here's a real-world recent example. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the life of Elia Westberg. We mourned her passing and praised her witness to the good news of Jesus. Many people showed their support and love for Elia and her family by purchasing and giving bouquets. The total count was 27 arrangements arrayed across the stage behind her casket. And they were beautiful. Like the scent of the perfume was beautiful, the flowers were gorgeous to behold. And as the act of the woman pouring the fragrance out was beautiful, so was the act of demonstrating our love and support for Elia and her family through the gifting of flowers. And like the fragrance, or like music, or like fine wine, flowers are ephemeral. They are here, and then they're wilted and gone. And like the fragrance, the flowers were expensive. You should know. You bought them. Funeral bouquets range in price from 50 to several hundred dollars, and I estimate there was no less than $2,000 worth of flowers on the stage, on display for the Westbergs. And wouldn't you know it, I actually heard someone say how wasteful it was. That it was a waste to spend that money on something so fleeting and expensive. Wouldn't it be better, I heard it said, to give that money to a muscular dystrophy organization, to Covenant Cedars, or to help defray the cost of upcoming mission trips? 
Even that simple act of devotion and love to one of our own can reveal where our relationships with money get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. There is no hiding your heart when it comes from Christ. When you come before him to worship and you do so authentically, he will reveal to you that which you value more than him. Authentic worship demands that our relationship with Jesus be the sole focus of our lives. So let's recap. The story of the woman anointing Jesus by pouring out fragrant oil of perfume reveals that, one, it is done to Jesus and it is beautiful. The authentic acts of worship simply are beautiful, and it seems that Jesus values that which is beautiful. Two, it has a high price. Authentic acts of worship demand a high price from our time, opportunities, and finances, and authentic worship requires much sacrifice. And three, it reveals our unhealthy relationships. Authentic worship cuts like a knife through any sinful facade we may have revealing the sinful nature of our hearts. And the good news is that Jesus then invites us to repent. He's calling you to repent today of placing idols in the place of himself and valuing that which God does not value. Luke's gospel describes the woman as weeping over Jesus' feet as she repented of her sins. When was the last time you saw your sin so clearly that you came before him in tears? Do not hesitate. Do not wait. Do not concern yourself with who may be watching. Turn your focus entirely on him. I have one last thought to share, and then Mike will come up and serve as communion. The woman's act of authentic worship anointed Jesus, but everyone present was blessed by it. A fundamental property of fragrance is that it spreads and the scent fills the air. Every single person who is at that table with Jesus, in the room and possibly even in the house, smelled her act of worship. She poured the fragrance directly onto Jesus. Remember, the Gospels record this act of worship as something done to him, and he would have been the first to experience the scent. And as the aroma spread to those around the table, the disciples, the host, and his other guests, and then maybe throughout the room, everyone was blessed. When we worship God authentically, good things cannot help but pour out to bless the world and those around us. It doesn't matter your attitude if you're having a bad day or angry with God, your children are driving you nuts, or your relationship with him is not great. The fragrance of worship invites you to participate, and hopefully it is beautiful enough so you can stand in awe of the creator of the universe simply by experiencing it. So, do you smell it? How many of you smelled the bread today as you walked in? Today is a communion Sunday, and we wanted to involve multiple senses so you could smell this invitation from Christ. It's not just something we eat. It's something we touch and we hold and we smell and we experience in our bodies kinesthetically. The most meaningful moments of worshiping through music are when all of our voices are raised together singing praise, thanks, and honor to God. Like perfume, the act of worship spreads through the room, blessing all who are here, down the hall to those who cannot or will not be in the room, and then out to the neighborhoods and cities beyond as our lives are transformed. Don't let your relationship with Jesus be perfunctory. Take action to worship authentically today. 
As we sing songs, read scripture, and pray, ask God to reveal the idols of your heart just as he did to the disciples. Then repent and come before him to pour out that which you can bring, to bring that which is a sacrifice for you. Let us pray. Jesus, may you accept our offerings of worship as we pour out ourselves the things that we hold precious so that we can honor you and give you all the glory that you are due. And again, we thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice for you loved us so much that you came to die for us. We bow before your feet, Father, and we recognize our sinful hearts and we repent of those sins and we ask you to make us clean again. Thank you for your table. In your name we pray, amen.